Welcome to Every Dimension. This podcast is created for those buying and selling design. Our aim is to explore how to demand more from design and how to deliver it, as we all need to keep growing brands when tomorrow's challenges and opportunities come in every dimension. Every Dimension is created by the Agency Path and hosted by me, a founder, Thomas Herman. Welcome to another episode of Every Dimension, Demand More from Design. Now, before we play the conversation, I'd like to tidy things up a little for you. This time, we are talking to Dr. Lara Ramdin. In the recording, I missed her bio, which was lucky, as since then, it's changed. Now, in April 2023, Dr. Lara is Chief Innovation and Science Officer at Upcycled Foods Incorporated. Congratulations on the new job, Dr. Lara. But at the time of recording, Dr. Lara was Chief Nutrition and Wellness Scientist at Dole Sunshine Company, and she had also had innovation roles at Molson Coors, Estee Lauder and Unilever. At the end of our conversation, one of Dr. Lara's three C's of innovations slips her mind. She messaged me straight afterwards to state that they are, of course, curiosity, creativity and collaboration. So please insert those in your mind when the time comes. We recorded in November 2022 during the World Cup football tournament. So the game referenced in our chat was the nil-nil draw between England and the USA. And finally, I thought I should say Dr. Lara was kindly introduced to me by our previous guest, Atoshi George. Dr. Lara and Atoshi worked together at Unilever. Thank you for the intro, Atoshi. Dr. Lara Ramdin. Lara, hello. Hey. Hi, Thomas. You? Hello. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good, good. Well, thanks for joining us today. Before we get into my questions, I thought we could do some warm-up, if that's okay, with some, some A or B style questions. Are you, are you okay with that? I'm good with that. So, off the cuff, coffee or tea? Both, depending on the occasion. Very good. Cheese or chocolate? both depending on the occasion sorry this is going to get really boring isn't it <laughs> no 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 <laughs> beer or wine i don't drink ah even though you work for a beer company even though i work for a beer company yeah, yeah brilliant. <clears throat> mountains or beach oh beach okay you're in la right now not far from the beach mm -hmm. mac or pc i have both but I'm liking the Mac, I have to say. Okay, okay, okay. Art or science? I don't think they're inseparable. I think they go together. Good answer. US or UK? <laughs> that was not fair. <laughs> I live in the US. I'm from the UK. Both. They both have ch have charms. Did you enjoy the football last week? Uh, I did. I was actually the only, well, I, I think there were, maybe a few of us there maybe I was in a I wasn't in a British pub I went to the British pub and the British pub was packed and I couldn't get in and I was there at 9 30 but and this match starts at 11 if you can believe it so I went around the corner to another just a bar and so of course I was in a minority so I just tried to make as much noise 
as as if there were more English people in the bar. And then the man, then the man at the bar said to me, "That's the most fun I've seen anybody have on a cup of coffee because it's eleven o'clock in the morning, and I don't drink anyway either." Yeah, but right, right. Still, right. and I was like, "Oh yeah, I don't need it." <laughs> I had to walk out at some stage because it was so tense. I had to walk out, and then I called my best friend at home. And she was like, Lara, this is rubbish. The England England are playing rubbish. And so I just walked up and down the promenade in Santa Monica while I while, while I wasted 10 minutes. But um, yeah. Yeah. Nothing changed. Oh, <laughs> no, well. nothing changed. Uh... <laughs> she was keeping me she was keeping me up to up to speed, but nothing changed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least at least you didn't fall out with your, have to fall out with your colleagues over football. Uh no, my boss is Italian. So that's that that was interesting the in the Euro, when during the European Championships, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. A couple more books or movies? Movies. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Nice. And you work in fruit, so apples or pears? Pears. Good answers. Good answers. Great. Well, thanks for that. Hope we're warmed up. So that's good to get those uh, questions um, from you. So to start the conversation, I think it's really interesting for us all to kind of understand how your career started. But would you mind if we went all the way back to what your very, very first job was? And then perhaps you could tell us how that moved into where you are now in your sort of career progress. I grew up in, I'm from St Albans, which is just outside London. And I, um, my first job was a Saturday job. And I worked for this shop called Medicare, which I think is the precursor to Superdrug. It was basically like an early Superdrug. And I worked there on a Saturday and I was 16 and I had just done my GCSEs. And I remember I had to get my mum's permission to go to go and work there. And then eventually I made it to the big time because I... uh, eventually meant to work for Marks and Spencers and I felt like I'd made it so I worked I worked in the food hall in Marks and Spencers okay okay serving customers yeah but well first of all I started uh, I worked in the bakery section so I worked at stacking bakery products and then I, I graduated to the tills yeah okay do you uh, can you rely on any of that experience nowadays with your kind of consumer understanding I don't know whether I should have learned. What I should have learned is that to be more patient, but I didn't. Good stuff. So, so and then and then, what um, took you from uh, that job to to where you are now? What did you do in between? I don't know. I mean, I work in food now, so maybe I've come back full circle. Uh, but you must have decided to study science, or I was always going to study science. That was just something I always I always knew I was going to do, and I went to university in Cardiff and then I did my PhD in Southampton and then after that I think I thought that I was going to have this illustrious academic career and then realized how difficult it was actually and how much a vacation of a vacation it is so I have deep admiration for anybody who spends a you know has a career in 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 a university or an academic profession and very quickly after my PhD, you know, looked for a more industry-focused job, and that's really how I ended up joining Unilever, and then staying there for fifteen years. Uh-huh. And then on from 
Unilever, you moved on from Estee Lauder, uh, uh, on to Estee Lauder, Molson Coors. Moved to Estee Lauder and worked Estee Lauder for three years. And then that was in New York. And then, then I had a really great boss at Molson Coors and she was like, come and work with us and we're going to do this, this and this. And I was like, okay. So then I came back to the UK, worked in Burton-on-Trent, of all places. And but actually, it's a great place to make beer. It has uh, great water. And in fact, they the um, the process the the process of adding water to the grain, because Burton is so famous for its water, is often called Burtonization by brewers. Because Burton is on a I don't know whether you know this, but Burton is on a rock of gypsum, so it has a significant amount of really interesting minerals and so on in the water which helps facilitate making a great beer. Yeah. Well, one of my first jobs was working on Carling, Carling Black Label. Was it really? Are you yeah, based so... in Burton or Derby? No, but no, but we went up there to um we went up to the, to see the brewery. So um yeah, it was a long time ago. It's one of those things that the client actually <laughs> the client's parents live near our agency. So I think it was a convenient uh, uh, um, a convenient kind of uh relationship at the time but lucky enough we got to uh, got to work on the brand so that was, you'd be that surprised was how many people have touched carling in that way whether it be from a brand perspective a design perspective a brewing perspective carling is a legacy is a legacy brand and um it's the number one beer the number one lager in the uk bill and so I can't remember that there was a stat at the time about how many they sold a second, but I don't I, I know the stat. I don't know that. I don't. I, in fact, it might be a bit scary to think about that. But <laughs> someone doesn't drink. But it's certainly a. It's certainly a. a it's certainly a legacy brand, and um, I've worked on quite a few legacy brands for the UK as well. Actually, in my time. Yeah. Have you always been in innovation, um, so to speak? Uh, yes, I started at Unilever as a cell and molecular biologist, and there were some techniques, cell biology techniques I had used in my PhD that I then used in the first two years of my life at Unilever. And then I fell into product development because I was uh, talking to somebody who was in a development center at the time in Germany and explaining what it was that I was doing. And he said, you're really good at explaining this really easily. You should consider working in product development. And um, and the rest is history. He, and he's still, um, Jürgen is still a friend and mentor to me uh, today. So he, he's, he's the, the first person that really encouraged me to pursue a slightly different um, career path. Yeah. And so that, that was about kind of explaining in sort of consumer terms what the science yeah. of the product yeah. could do I didn't know that, 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 that the case? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that at the time though Thomas I was I was I you know nobody had given me any formal training at that stage um but I was able to translate the science in a way that consumers could easily understand and he was interested in that and he thought that was a good skill to have and he helped me develop that and expand that yeah absolutely and you can absolutely understand how that's a, you know it's an essential skill uh, or certainly somewhere in the marketing of a product and um yeah to be able to unlock that is key so in your role at dole sunshine company as an innovator what, what's what 
is your kind of remit and or, or how would you describe your sort of objectives at the moment? When I joined the company that my my boss had together with the CMO, they put together a, a 2025 annual report. So they had sort of set out their stall and said, okay, you know, and they did this some years ago. So they were already, I think, a couple of years on the journey before I joined <clears throat> and said, you know, by 2025, we want to achieve these things. We want to be X, Y, and Z. We want to be a nutritional wellness company and we want to be in these categories and so on. And so really my focus over the last two years has been, you know, how do how do we get there? How do we get to 2025? How do we get there from an innovation strategy point of view, from a portfolio expansion point of view? And what's the science that underpins that innovation strategy, which is where gut health comes in? And what technology do we need from the outside in the pipeline in order to realize this goal of becoming a nutritional wellness company? That's all. They're all the things that I have been focusing on over the last couple of years. And at the moment, my focus is 100% on the external and finding that technology at the front end to fill the pipeline and really, and not necessarily to realize the 23 plan because that's all being already being worked on from a product development perspective, but actually also to facilitate the 24 and the 25 plan. And, and am I right in understanding that you're, you're, it's a relatively new team and you're sort of building a team at the moment? Uh, I the team is now built. I would say we have we we have already had a leader in the U.S. We now have a leader in the in the in Asia. We've expanded the team in the U.S. and we've we now have a, a hub across the two uh, teams in the manufacturing units in Thailand, and the Philippines. So the team is now set. You're saying how do you how do you build a team like that, or more specifically, what kind of people do you need in the, in a good innovation team? Are they all the same or very different? Um, are there certain traits or talents you look for? I think the first thing to say is that we're not trying to recreate a Unilever in this organization. It's it's an organization that it's much smaller and has, uh, I would say, a limit on the number of people. And actually, the model is such that for any given project, if there's capability that you need to bring in that you don't have within the company, then you bring it in for that project and make that part of the project cost. For example, if you want to work on functional beverages and you need to have an expert on fermentation, then you know, I call up one of my friends that I used to work with and I, who happens to be consulting now and say, you know, can you work for X number of hours on this project to help the team deliver product X? So the team, the team internally is very much focused on that all technical, but they're very much focused on product application. And they all have varying different degrees of experience. Some of them are veterans of, of Dole. Um, but the new guys all come from the snack industry or the supplements industry or and uh, any capability that we don't have internally we find outside and we make that part of the project okay yeah so that that's very much seems to be the part of the process and part of the skill is to be able to outwardly look for connections and make those connections and then collaborate with those people and, and, and yeah and I would say that's the majority of my job right my job so my job is not to, to get in the way of people doing product development internally but to facilitate that and that happening and make that easier 
actually. Great. I could talk about the so much you could talk about in detail, but um, I, I was quite interested from your experience working in innovation at a number of companies. Are you able to kind of express, you know, for our listeners, your kind of explanation of what innovation is perhaps and is it the same at all the kind of companies you've you've worked at or are there some differences or and even referring to innovation in one word is, is that the right thing to do or, or, or is there something a, a different way to express it I think the first thing to say is that the word innovation is incredibly nebulous and it means different things to different people and it's important and different things to different companies so it's really critical to understand what it means for that particular company. When I worked for Unilever and Estee Lauder, I worked very firmly in R&D, product development, right? That, and, and that's my, I guess that's my wheelhouse. That's what I know how to do, you know, product development, R&D, creating things at scale, commercializing, sensory, consumer understanding, all of those things. And then as I morphed into uh, into Muscle Calls, actually it became much more about business development, opportunity sizing, some brand development. And I would say that is also true in this role, that this role, and it really depends on the organization and the size of the organization, right? In this role, um, it's more it's more all-encompassing. It is business development, it is partnerships, it is different business models it is you know and and so I think you need to look at the fine print when you're thinking about innovation in a variety of companies because it can mean many different things to many different people for some companies innovation actually means marketing and in this organization we have people in R&D product development who work in innovation we have a ventures team and we have a marketing team who work in innovation so and I, I would say that seems to be the model that's most prevalent as I look around. That that seems to be the model, a similar model. And so does that does that mean you have a, a member from each of those teams in the innovation process? Or did you did you mean each of those teams have an innovation process themselves? Within the innovation continuum, there is a role for ventures, there's a role for a scientist, chief scientist, there's a role for category development, which is responsible for looking at portfolio expansion and sizing the opportunity. And then there's a role for marketing. I, innovation isn't like this box that you can put a box around. Innovation is a continuum. And frankly, if you're driving a culture innovation, which is what we're trying to do here, then you're encouraging everybody to take part. And just because that person happens to have innovation in their title, job title, doesn't mean that they're responsible for everything. So it seems to be, yeah, it's, it's definitely sort of about digging down into what the reason behind that innovation object, objective well, is. Well, ultimately, I, I think that what I, I think what I, uh, because innovation is so misused, I think sometimes, I prefer to, uh, would prefer to call myself the chief science and growth officer and because everything that I do is focused on growing the business right if it's not going to grow the business then I'm not going to do it right and what I'm providing in my role is the strategy and the thought leadership on where we should go from a growth perspective underpinned by a science foundation no it's really interesting you say that because I think people have, have expressed similar views that you know 
innovation for innovation's sake is is problematic if 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 it's if it's always about growing brands and brand growth and it just fits into the normal kind of areas that we know I about. think that firmly belongs in another team right so I think if you're and I I think there's a place for renovation right so I'm not the chief renovation officer and but that doesn't mean to say that renovation shouldn't take place so I, I don't need to you, you don't need me to figure out how to revolutionize the way can our canned fruit looks or the way the fruit bowls look or whatever because and that and that is firmly in the wheelhouse of the marketing team and a packaging designer and that's needed uh, because you know refreshes and 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 new storytelling and leveraging new technology to create transparency or authenticity or whatever it is that that's all needed but you don't that's not necessarily where I'd where I can add value that's not where I'm going to oh, good to hear that yeah so it's the, the, the understanding that there's, there's different approaches and different needs and even different definitions of what how innovation fits into businesses like yours or, or previous so yeah thank you for that also from a bit of research I understand that you're a, a design thinker and a, a design thinking trainer and is that something that you've used sort of throughout your career or, or more recently and I was taught, uh, actually, um, it was really Merking and Molson Cause that gave me the opportunity to learn about design thinking and actually become a trainer. And I love doing the training. I really do. I think that it's much harder, unless you're a design agency, I think it's much harder for an existing organisation to adapt to design thinking, unless you have a separate group that's sole purpose is to do that. But one of the key tenets of design thinking is to do all the thinking upfront before you go into ideation and concepting, right? And in all the organizations that I have worked in, all the teams are hardwired for action because that's how they have been rewarded. That's how how the success metrics are linked to action. And we do talk about the fact that we want to focus on impact. We don't want to, and and my boss and I have had lots of conversation about what's the, you know, what's the real impact. You know, we don't want people to just work and work and work and work and work and for there not to be measurable impact. And I think that's why I like design thinking, because that gives you a clear process to really define where you'd have the optimum impact. So to force an organization that's used to running and being hardwired for action to actually pause and do the work and say, what problem am I, am I really solving for? And what are really the jobs to be done before you go into ideation is really hard. And I haven't seen it happen a lot. Yeah. And and you mentioned jobs to be done in a phrase there. And um, I guess you've come across the sort of jobs to be done innovation approach as well. Would you say design thinking and jobs to be done are all kind of this, a similar theme, you know, being driven from a kind of uh, um, a, a consumer need or, or understanding what that yeah real reason we're doing this for? Yes. I mean, ultimately, it all comes from a consumer insight. If you work in CPG anyway, I mean, it could be a customer insight, by the way, the the process could be applied to other other business models, but they all lead to starting with the insight and really spending time on defining the right problem. 
and this this i think this is an interesting debate that we sometimes have in the studio and sometimes i, I get kind of a confused look from designers about design thinking because it seems to describe something that they would just do naturally you know this is oh is that a magic process oh no it's not it's the process that i would do naturally understanding the the the, the need that's driving the kind of brief in the first place can you sort of can you for our kind of benefit or listeners benefit could you describe the scenario that would exist if design think, thinking didn't turn up would 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 action be taken without really understanding what the consumer need is would it would it be taken for another reason is it because you can make a widget so we'll make the widget or what's the, what's the what's the what's the situation without design thinking and the way i try to describe it is this we are all all companies have limited resources regardless of whether it whether you're a 55 billion company like Unilever or 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 a startup right you have a certain amount of resources that you need to need to use and leverage right and when i say resources i mean people and money if you don't do design thinking what happens is then you have an innovation program innovation stroke renovation program that contains a range of initiatives some of which may be driven by a real consumer insight and consumer need but and some of them which may be driven by a customer saying i want this but if you don't do, do design thinking then you have never asked the question is this the right solution and therefore am i using my resources in the most efficient way possible so when a when a costco comes to you and says i need a 48 count of fruit bowls right my first reaction in my head is and of course then everybody galvanizes into action to make that happen but that customer request will often come i'm not saying they did ask i'm just making that up but that will come on top of other things that people are managing right and the thing in my head i'm is what it, what problem is it that they're trying to solve for exactly is the 48 count really what they need is that the right solution or is it something else and are we missing and then and then i guess the thing re, the real thing that i i think about is have we missed an opportunity because we haven't taken the time to think about what the problem we're solving for really is and i don't mean this is not specific to dole i'm not i'm, not, I'm just saying generally um you know because in Moss and calls we used to get retailers requests all the time for you know 20 uh, 20 pack when we already had an 18 or you know things like that happen all the time that's natural business but i often wonder whether or not if we were all if we were all using the same process if we could if we could just stop and ask ourselves that question whether or not we would all go down those routes and do all those things yeah so fundamentally design thinking is about having the confidence to keep saying why or ask why yeah it's the confidence to keep saying the five whys right to keep asking why i mean this is about innovation it's about efficiency it's about agility because imagine, right? We're all there's all this huge pressure on everybody to be agile, 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 be fast, 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 fast. If if you're if you're getting all these multiple requests from people because somebody wants X and they haven't thought about why they want X, then it completely impacts your ability to be all those things, to be truly disruptive, innovative, fast, agile, efficient, cost effective, all those things. Yeah. It's like any workflow, isn't it? Even even you know tasks coming into your desk and the day job you know if you can ask why that needed and when when is it needed then you can prioritize yeah i guess that's a good lesson for all ways of working and design thinking for me is not 
I think the reason why I like it is because it's not rocket science. You know, there's Clay Christensen. I mean, you can read lots and lots of things around the subject. But I think for me, when the process is presented to you, you kind of go, oh, yeah, that's logical. That makes sense. That That's what something went off for me when I first started learning it. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw Tim Brown. I think I saw one of his original talks about he... He mentioned that you know he trained as a designer and his first job was designing a photocopier and um, you know back in the day when they were a, a big thing and he made a slightly more beautiful photocopier and then five years later it was obsolete and he made a more beautiful one and he thought hmm, there's something going wrong here maybe I should think about you know the design or design had gone from what he remembered as you know Kingdom Isambard Kingdom Brunel you know making fantastic things that made the world better to to a process of just incrementally making things slightly more beautiful in a superficial way and he's you know he thought well there must be a kind of a way to get back to that kind of real problem solving part of design so yeah that kind of unlocked it i have to put a link to that talk somewhere in the in the notes but thanks for that that's great i think that the sort of last question in, in this section and i think you might have kind of given us a clue to to that now understanding your role in innovation versus you know a renovation role in in marketing but when it comes to your processes you know how what and how would you outsource things you mentioned earlier that actually a lot of your job is is actually looking for technologies um and and, and so so is is that the case of, of the partnership that you generally looking for rather than finding partners that can as you said you know renovate a pack or, or so forth i mean don't get me wrong there are still partners that you need when it comes to renovating a pack design there are, we have some fantastic um design partners that we work with really really closely they're like part of the family now because we've worked with them on so many different designs they're based in the UK actually I they were brought in by my colleague I think perhaps she'd worked with them at Unilever I'm not sure but I mean like also they can do design thinking and do you know and do concepting and ideating and so they can they don't just they can do brand design refreshes and they can also work with me on on more disruptive innovation they've they've run the full gamut so i think they're a partner of choice because they get us and they get the people leading the projects and they understand uh they understand what it is that we that we that we want and we need i would say at the beginning of a project i think it's it's important for me to determine whether or not we have the technology already in our toolbox whether we need to go and find it and then whether or not we have the capability within the organization to understand how to formulate so do we if we want to do uh, fermented beverages there's nobody in the organization I mean apart from me I'm going to find somebody who really is an expert fermenter and put them together with the product development person and 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 help them work on that project the same would be true for if you're looking at a new class of a class of sweetness right which uh, which is isn't on the market yet but is being um, investigated by several different companies across the globe then those companies are providing you're choosing them not just based on the technology but also based on their knowledge and understanding of that particular sweetener and also they need to have some understanding of product application and you bring the two together and then you get synergy so that's my uh, that's my job creating those synergies brilliant and, and you're able to keep sort of long-term relationships with partners as you move through 
um, different roles and different jobs. You mentioned earlier, it's sort of about having a Rolodex of. Yeah, of, I mean, yeah. I think there are people that you definitely there are people that you there's a guy and he, a guy who does a sort of how should I say a sort of brand and innovation strategy consultancy he's also based in the UK but I have worked with him for I don't know 20 years or so I, I first met him at Unilever he was working on um, claims development um, which is brand storytelling and we've been in contact ever since and we've worked together ever since yeah and I guess that that's always your go-to contact well also the other thing is now we know each other so well right so he also is able to say I think he would say that he feels comfortable being able to say when things are not good you know like yeah it's a bit of trust there yeah there's not it it goes beyond the agency client relationship I mean he's care obviously careful but he's but he would he would he would not be being true to himself if he wasn't be able if he wasn't if he didn't feel like he could be honest with me about some things that are going well and some things that are not going so well and I appreciate that. Okay, good, good lesson. Um, time is ticking on. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and move to the second um, half of our, our kind of questions. Um, but, uh, but good to, um, good to hear those answers. So in, in the second half, it's kind of looking at uh, sort of challenges and opportunities. And we, we say, yeah, uh, we as an agency design better experiences and expressions to help grow brands. But it's all about tomorrow's challenges and understanding those in, in every dimension. So we were kind of keen to talk to you uh, about what you might think, firstly, what the biggest challenges are today t- and tomorrow in your industry. And after that, it's the biggest opportunities today and tomorrow in your in- industry. And then perhaps how you think creativity or, or, or design or, or perhaps innovation might play a role in those. So, so that's the sort of the three questions. You can kind of tackle them one after the other or all together if, if you like. Yes. So it's a really, there's a lot of disruptive things going on and really interesting things from an, from a science, technology and innovation perspective. And the thing is, for the future wellness of the planet and for people, we need to be looking at multiple streams of innovation. So it, it, we, we need all of the things, right? So we, all, we do need alternative food tech, right? Because the world will have to move to a more plant-based diet. And when you finish reading Spoon Fed that you got from your mum. Yeah, you um, recommended to we me. Can have another, <laughs> we can have another conversation about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not suggesting that we all turn vegan, but I am suggesting that we rebalance our diets and actually embrace a predominantly plant-based diet. So an, alter, so an alternative food tech will be needed ultimately to feed more people. Climate change is real. So we will need new developments in agriculture. We will need indoor agri. Upcycling, which is something that I'm really passionate about. And I was passionate about it before I joined the board of the Upcycle Food Association. But now I'm I'm more vocal about it because I think more people need to know about what it is that they're trying to do. But food waste, it, I think, given today's climate with, with all the hungry people in the world, I think is criminal uh, because it's... It, it, it's just not it goes to landfill so it it adds to greenhouse gas emissions and it just sits in landfill to rot and to waste and for me what i look at when i look at food waste is nutrition i think about all the nutrition that's going to waste so all these people that are working 
to create value from upcycled foods. They need to be supported because because we're going to need all of those things. You're going to need circular food systems. You're going to need indoor agri. You're going to need alternative food tech. The biggest challenge of all of that is commercial scale and therefore accessibility because it takes investment, a lot of investment, naturally, because it's new technology or leveraging existing processes in a different way, if you think about precision fermentation. And, but we want to, we, all, all those people that are collectively working believe fundamentally it's better for the planet and better for people. And if you ask them, I'm sure they'd say, yes, of course, we want to feed more people. But it's still, the cost, the cost at the moment is still up here somewhere. And so all of those things need to come together in such a way that it makes it, that it's democratized at some stage. And in those challenges, is is there sort of a, a lead role for sort of creativity or, or design or innovators that comes to mind? Yeah, I think, I mean, there is really, really clever people working in all of these areas, right? Working in indoor agri, upcycling, alternative food tech, or, uh, you know, or proteins, precision fermentation, really clever people, much cleverer than I. And But I think the the, the real innovation comes in cracking commercialization, scalability, and the business model. And I think that's where other people, other other innovative thinkers can help. Because I think if you said to your designers, how do you feel about using your innovative, you know, your, your innovative, innovative muscle to help try and unlock feeding more people around the world? Nobody would say no to that, right? Absolutely. And I think so many of the challenges we're we're sort of hearing on this podcast you know a number of them have a kind of experience challenge and how do you make upcycled food consumable or how do you make it how do you deliver it you know so there's industrial designers there's um, engineers product designers you know can help think about how do you actually deliver the tangible thing to human beings and then i imagine there's a there's an expression kind of challenge in how you communicate this do you call it upcycled food do you call it food waste i think we heard recently some food waste food called rescued food which was quite a nice way of expressing you know how this food was a, a positive thing because i imagine getting people to understand and embrace food waste as a as a valuable resource is is, an, is a communication challenge as well yes my focus over the in in the in the next few months is to work with the upcycle food association and also other members of the team here to figure out how we tell people that we created value from waste so the word upcycled is not is is language that we use in the food industry and the upcycle food association has a certification process which guarantees the transparency and authenticity of this particular ingredient and or product right so it's a consumer facing or a customer facing if it's an ingredient uh, badge of honor if you like Problem is upcycled is not is not a term that's used by your average shopper. So uh, I, I, I'm not sure that the average shopper fully understands what that means. So I think that is the job to be done over the next. And, and I, I want to be personally want to be at the forefront of that because I have views. <laughs> I also believe I've been doing this for a while now I think I have some experience in how to tackle it and I think I can add value there 
right? Well, um, yeah, thanks for those insights. Again, time is ticking. So I'll move on to um, our last closing questions. Uh, this, the first one sort of segues in in um, into your uh, previous answers. But we like to ask if you could demand uh, anything is delivered from designers or creatives, you know, solution to any problem, anything is possible. What problem would you choose to solve? Okay. I think yesterday somebody asked me about doing sustainable business or doing not doing business sustainably, but doing sustainable business and the challenges associated with that. If you want to formulate a product that is sustainably sourced in a packaging that is better for the environment, it will cost you more than doing it a standard way. So that means that you're perpetuating the problem because those people that, if you think about accessible nutrition, accessible nutrition, and, and that is the thing that I think about a lot, accessible nutrition and, and price points, any any kind of, and packaging particularly is the thing that keeps me up at night. Any kind of sustainable pack is two is two times, three times, four times a standard packaging price. So I think designers in particular have a role to play in trying to unlock how we democratize sustainable packaging and make that available to all at all price points because it's a vicious cycle and we need to we we need to we just just need to make it a standard rather than an innovation i want to get to the point where sustainable packaging is just the standard packaging that's right yeah and again it's that it's that kind of that balance or, or process of getting enough investment to scale it to make it affordable but then making it desirable enough and affordable enough to make people want to scale it great okay thanks very much okay last couple of questions just moving on outside of our uh our previous chat but just at you as a person you as a, a human or a business person is there a kind of piece of advice that you live by or found useful in the past or, or a mantra or a motto that you use <laughs> i use many i think that i think working in innovation requires you to have a certain amount of grit and resilience because nothing goes according to plan and i think that if it doesn't go according to plan that means that you're working on something really disruptive. So when you're working with members of the team who are perhaps younger in experience and they and they worry about things not going right, I always say to them, that's okay, because that means that we're doing something right. Uh, and I think that some of the most disruptive things come from things going wrong. And that's where you get the most learning, for sure. For sure. And um, I don't really have... I don't think I have a mantra. I'm sure some if sure I'm sure if you are somebody else, they'd say, uh, I I do have uh I do have some things on the wall here that keep me amused, like I like the way you work it, no diggity. And on the other wall it says last night a G DJ saved my life. So yeah, maybe that's my mantra. Yeah, no, it's 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 good. Unfortunately, our listeners won't be able to see your walls, but I can describe they are very lovely walls um, with some uh, good stuff on there. Yeah, I think uh, I think in the past I've heard you say that innovation is often often about sort of curiosity and and keeping that open mind all the time. And then yes, I would say the mantra, the only mantra I have is the three C's: curiosity, collaboration. I bought the third one last now. <laughs> Charm. <laughs> 
But curiosity and collaboration, I think, should be at the forefront. And in fact, actually, you asked me earlier about how we recruit people. For me, it's not necessarily about the jobs you've done. It's actually about in your roles, how curious have you been? I When I meet people, especially who are maybe at the beginning of their careers or maybe in their careers for, you know, two, three, four years, what strikes me, what jumps out for me is when they've gone the extra mile to find out something or when they've researched something around a subject or when they are doing something as a side hustle because they were curious about X, Y, Z. Those are the things that I'm like, uh uh-huh, that person is an innovator. Great. Thank you. Right then, last question. Have you got any recommendations? Are you reading anything? Are you watching anything that that you're loving or hating that you might want to talk about for our listeners or recommend? So the first thing I wanted to do is give, um, when I worked at Muscle Cause, we had an entrepreneur in residence. It's the first time I'd ever come across that. Uh, his name is Mike Stemple, and he's written a book here called Innovating Innovation. And the first line in the first chapter, Tom, is you suck at innovation. I unfortunately have to tell corporations this all the time. So if that doesn't make you interested or intrigued, then I don't know what will. So he's written a book about all his experience of being an entrepreneur in residence in corporate environments he's a serial entrepreneur and knowing Mike as I do it will be quite it'll be very quite funny and direct but will hopefully help you sort of give you an alternative point of view uh, about innovation yeah that's a great one thank you and then you know that I'm a huge uh, that I'm a big um, fangirl of Tim Spector and gut health he has a new book out which isn't, I can't remember the title, but it's not available here in the US yet, but it is available in the UK. So it's a, it's a follow-up to Spoonfed. And um, I, um, fangirls probably, I probably should say devotee. I mean, from a purely professional, obviously, from a scientific perspective, I like what he's doing. I research and it is robust. And I often quote the American Gut Project and he was uh, the UK partner on that so they did it was the first crowdsourced crowdsourced scientific study um across the uk and the us um and lots of really interesting findings in there that i that i refer to and um i also recently invested in this the baby in the biome and i would say fetal and maternal microbiomes are i would say it's it's a it's a new emerging area of understanding and at some stage, the dogma suggested that babies, a baby's microbiome only developed when the baby was born. But actually, there's more evidence to suggest now that the baby's microbiome starts developing when it's in the womb, when it's in utero. And it's influenced by what the mother does. Yeah. And is that, does that, because that sometimes there's conversations about, I mean, this might be speculation, but where allergies and and kind of dietary preferences might come from, from what the, the mothers have eaten during pregnancy. There, that, is that, right? I, that isn't speculation. There's more evidence. I mean, uh, there is, um, obviously it's an emerging area of research, but there is more evidence to suggest that the, yes, she said the, the title of the book is How the Tiny World Inside Your Child Holds the Secret to Their Health. 
And when they're in utero, when they're being incubated for nine months, it would be logical that what you consume has a has a has an impact on the way in which their microbiome develops and therefore influences the way other things downstream for them so their immunity their brain development all sorts of things so this we will hear more about this but i think this is a very important area of scientific research fantastic some great recommendations thank you very much in a in a previous podcast, I've heard you you talking about other ways you take time out. You know, big fan of um, of, of movies and how it kind of changes maybe the maybe your mood or your or your vibration, and it allows you to kind of think in a in a different way. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, the movie theater or the cinema is is kind of my spiritual church. So if I I I find I go into that room for two to three hours and it and it's dark and you focus on what's on the screen and whatever else is going on outside stays outside and I don't bring it into the cinema. And I mean, really happy. I mean, I love streaming, don't get me wrong, but I'm really happy that we're back in the cinema because I don't think there's anything quite like that experience. And I, I find that actually allowing my brain to just go with whatever's in front of me actually um, un un unlocks my brain for me. So it's, it's kind of a meditation so that when I leave the cinema, I'm in a different, I'm in a different place mentally. And then I can, especially when it comes to problem solving or, you know, if, if I really can't figure something out, then watching a film or going to the cinema is the thing that helps me unlock it and then come back to it. I find a lot of innovation. In, I mean, cinema is incredibly innovative anyway, but I, I find that it the storytelling and the poetry and the coming together of art and science is the thing that really un unlocks a different part of my brain. I think that's my experience. And, and I mean, as a scientist, maybe you can give it more credence, but the, uh, you know, the cliche of having your ideas in the shower kind of thing, when your brain's in a kind of different mindset, you've perhaps done a, a lot of kind of cognitive work, research, number crunching, and then you go off and do something completely different. And then somehow the ideas percolate and, reform in, in 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 ideas in your mind do you think that's the case yeah and people tell me I use film analogies a lot but uh, you know as in it reminds me of blah 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 and maybe I do but I I think ultimately I mean other people get inspired by music other people get inspired by books and um, I mean I think also reading other reading fiction also is another area where I'm like okay that completely unlocks my brain but yeah, the cinema is is really the is where I can completely shut off. So if you need to find me, that's where I am usually. By the way, interesting that you say that you kind of use film references and and so forth to communicate. I think one of the discussions we have here is you know what what the create what is the what is the creative process or what what's the function of a of a of a design partner? And often, as you said right at the beginning, it, you know, unlocking these marketing challenges is, is often about communicating the need or the benefit in in the right way and so i guess if you've got kind of reference points or or a different language or, or ways of communicating things more more clearly that's always useful i guess yeah i mean i realized that also i have realized that not everybody knows as much about film generally as i do and don't don't watch as much as i do so sometimes i'm like have you watched so and so blah 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 and they're like no we don't watch it so i have to like really take that into account i mean 
movies can be a real education as well. There are a couple of films that I've seen recently that have been I've recommended to my to my boss uh, because they are eye openers. I mean, I love documentary, so um, the end of medicine is just shocking, um, and it was produced by Joaquin Phoenix and Rooney Mara because they're big advocates of um. I think they are both vegans, but they they primarily they you know they they want to stop cruelty to animals, and that's really shocking. Um, and it's not just and also in that particular film, it starts off with a former vet in the UK who stopped being a vet because she didn't like the way pigs were. She was a a pig vet. She didn't like the way pigs were being treated, and she was sort of became a whistleblower. Um, and she wasn't treated very well but and so it starts off with with real credibility and then it also has the former chief science science officer of the UK and then it has someone from the CDC and so as a scientist I'm you know you're like and since I've watched that film there have been other it's basically talks about how the pandemic isn't going to kill us it's antimicrobial resistance that is going to kill us and it comes from the way in which we treat animals for food and um, there have been other papers and things that I've read around that subject since I watched that film. So I think film can be something that unlocks my creativity, but it can also be things that can be one of the best ways to educate me. Absolutely. And I think I think that's something we, we see here as well. You know, a visual representation of something can either it can either be a documentary and, sh- and show, you know, this is this is what's happening and this is the problem or it can paint you know, a vision of the future. This is what might happen if X continues, or this is, this is what we could get if we do some good stuff, you know, maybe, and that's often to motivate change. You need to kind of either show the problem or, or show the solution in a, in a desirable way. So yeah, great. Okay. Well, well, Dr. Lara, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome, Thomas. Thank you. Been lovely to speak to you all the way over in LA. Yeah. Um, This is a good start to my day, Thomas. It's now 9.15am. So Good stuff. Well, uh, is it coffee time? Uh, it, it was before I joined. <laughs> well, thanks again for your time. We will uh, share all the references that you've made in the episode notes and um, wish you well and we'll keep in touch. You have been listening to Every Dimension, brought to you by Path. Join in the conversation on LinkedIn using the hashtag Every Dimension or on Instagram at we are path for more information on how we design brands better in every dimension please visit wearepath.com forward slash every dimension here you'll find all our other podcasts and 20 years of experience helping brands diagnose opportunities and challenges then designing identity experience and innovation to deliver on them. This podcast is created and produced by Path. If you have enjoyed this podcast, why not leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes? Thank you.